The scripture text, I would like to extend Happy Father's Day to all of the fathers in the house. I thank God for Overseer, the father of my children, who has been a dynamic father, a provider. They've never wanted for anything. If they did, I don't know about it. So I thank God for Overseer, the father of my children on today, and Happy Father's Day to you. Well, we're going to be going to the scriptures today, and we're going to be going to Jude chapter 1, verse 3. Jude chapter 1, verse 3. And if you have it, say amen. amen. It reads, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exalt you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was delivered unto the saints. Let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you today for your word. Lord, I thank you for clarity. I thank you for revelatory knowledge. I decrease, O oh God, that you might increase. Father God, I pray that you would anoint to hear us on this day and that that spirit man will receive what the spirit of the Lord is saying to us this day. In Jesus' name we pray and let God's people say amen, 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 amen. and amen. 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 You may be seated. Hallelujah. About two months ago, I was awakened out of my sleep. And the Lord said to me, be a contender. And I, I, I stood, I, I kind of sat up in the bed. And I heard again, be a contender. Well, the only scripture that I could think of in reference to being a, a contender dealt with the scripture in Jude. But then I realized that the Lord was saying to me, not only did he want me to be a contender of the faith, but I needed to be a contender of all the things that come against me. We need to be contenders of the faith, but we also have to sometimes contend against the things that come against us. Let me tell you, the devil hates me, the devil hates you. But if you're no threat to the kingdom, it means nothing. Only those that are a threat to the kingdom is he's concerned with bringing distractions and, and to fight against them. So we see here, to be a contender of the faith deals with apologetics. There are times that we have to, and apologetics is, is the branch of theology concerned with the defense or proof of Christianity. We are in a fight. I don't know if you realize it. I'm sure you do. We are in a fight. We are in a fight. It is a battle, and it is warfare from earth to glory. 
Sometimes we get a relief. If we're not going through something, we're coming out of something. If we're not coming out of something, we're in the midst of something. It is a constant warfare, constant battle. 2 Corinthians 10, verses, uh, chapter 10, verses 3 through 6, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Let me tell you, the battle, most of our battles is, is in the mind. It's in the mind. It's in our thought process. But if we can just pull down those imaginations, everything that exalts itself against God, we can make it. And then having a readiness to revenge disobedience but be ready to obey. When he says, you know, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal because the world says tit for tat, tat for toe. But our warfare is on our knees. Our warfare is interceding. Our warfare is saying, I love you in spite of. That's our warfare. And we are in a fight. But we have to be able to contend, to be a contender. You know, in boxing, when they have a fight, they always kind of describe both components, uh, you know, uh, yeah, components or uh, op opponents. They'll say how many fights they have had, and they'll mention how many knockouts they have had. Then they begin to uh, tell you their weight and their strength. But let me tell you, we are strong in Jesus. We are strong in Jesus. So when the enemy comes in like a flood, said the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard. So that is strength. That is strength. And so many times when we are going through, we don't understand why we are going through, but it's important. And why we are going through so much? Because we are a threat to the kingdom. I have a daily devotion that I read, and that it, it, it says, uh, TGIF, uh, Today God is First. And they had a reading, they had a reading, and I'm going to read that for you. And I quote, it's from, Today God is first, volume one by Oz Hillman. And this was dated 6-10-2014, and I quote, One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? <laughs> Has anyone ever heard about the sons of Sceva? Remember that? The sons of Sceva, they were, they were going to try to do what Paul was doing. He was casting out demons and devils, and, and here they thought they would try to do the same thing because it looked, I guess, interesting and it looked powerful. But let me tell you something. If you're not ready for a demon spirit, you better not touch. You better not approach. So here they are deciding to say to one of the uh, 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 vagabonds or one of the people, I assure you in the name of Jesus. Well, and the, and, and the, and the demon says, who are you? <laughs> who in the world are you? Say, I, I know Paul. 
I know about Paul, but who are you? So the spirit that was on the, the man with the demons jumped off of him onto the sons of Sceva, and they ended up running, losing, coming out of their clothes, naked, because they weren't prepared for that demon. See, you have to be prepared for warfare. You cannot enter into warfare unprepared. And daily, we have to dress up. We have to put on the whole armor of God. Hallelujah. The whole armor of God we need to put on in order to be prepared for warfare. Hallelujah. And we can't stop praying. <laughs> Got to keep praying. So I'm going to go on with this reading. It says, are you a threat to the kingdom of darkness? If Satan and his demons had a board meeting and your name came before the board, what would they say? Would they say you are one of our most feared enemies and they needed to keep many demons harassing and opposing you? Or would they say, gentlemen, this person poses no threat to our activities? <laughs> Leave him alone. He needs no help from us. There are millions of church-going believers sitting in pews Sunday after Sunday who pose no threat or little threat to the kingdom of darkness. If we truly believe that we war against rulers and principalities that cannot be seen, then we must realize that our mandate is to hinder any believer who is seeking to walk in that fullness of God. However, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. If you are seeking to fully follow the Lord, you can expect harassment from the enemy. God permits temptation because it drives us deeper into the soil of God. These times reveal God's power to keep us and walk us through the temptations. Our message becomes fruitful when it is born out of obedience and suffering for his name. Do not consider it strange if you find yourself fighting major battles the more obedient you become to the master. God desires each of us to become a feared enemy of hell. In order to affect Satan's dominion, when you begin to feel harassed, chances are you're beginning to affect the kingdom of darkness. And Satan doesn't like this, so how many demons do you think are assigned to you, unquote. <laughs> I was recently at a platform service where Minister Aradell Davis was one of the speakers. The title of the platform service was The Seven Ups. And as I sat under the word, as each speaker expounded on their theme of The Seven Ups, the spirit spoke to me and said, Surely, you would need all of these seven-ups to be a contender. Pray up, look up, speak up, stand up, wake up, fire up, and shut up. 
So my topic this morning is be a contender. Now let's find the word contender. Contender means to strive in opposition or against difficulties. It means to struggle, to compete as in a race. It means to strive in controversy or debate or dispute. Now, as we go into the book of Jude, Jude was the half-brother of Jesus. Also, James was the half-brother of Jesus. And when he wrote this particular book, he was dealing with uh, heresy, apostasy. And the, the, the heresy and apostasy that they were dealing with was called Gnosticism. And a lot of people felt like, and along with Gnosticism goes this term, asceticism. In other words, people felt like the more they denied themselves, they gained more knowledge. And the more knowledge they learned of God, the better they were and closer to him. But what we need to know is that uh, when we consider the knowledge of God, we can only get that through his word, Amen. through the studying of his word. Yeah. They were teaching in Gnosticism that Jesus was not in a real body, but a, but a, a I don't know, but a figment of, they felt like, that I, want to, I, I don't want to go ahead of myself because I, I, I know I go ahead of myself sometimes. Um, it says here that they were, let me just find it. Okay, this is what they believe. They believed that, okay, they believed that Christ provides, well, well, of course, they insisted that important secret knowledge was hidden from most believers. This is what Gnosticism taught. It insisted that important secret knowledge was hidden from most believers. Paul, ha however, said that Christ provides all the knowledge we need. Now, the Greek word for knowledge, this heresy is a teaching contrary to the biblical doctrine, which undermined Christianity in several ways. It insisted that important secret knowledge was hidden from most believers. Paul, however, said that Christ provides all the knowledge we need. They also, it taught that the body was evil. Paul countered that God himself lived in a body that he that is, he was embodied in Jesus Christ. It contended that Christ only seemed to be human, but was not. Paul insisted that Jesus was fully human and fully God. So can't you see the error that they were in? They were in total error because we know that who lives on the inside of us? Jesus. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us. So now we have to be a contender of the faith. As I go uh, to uh, my first point, it says here that it is evident 
and it goes without saying, but by knowing that when we are subservient, set apart for the use of being used by Almighty God, comes with it protection, shelter, divine appointment, appointment with the extension of compassion, an increase of prosperity and affection. Let's go to Jude 1 and 1. Jude 1 and 1. It is evident, and it goes without saying, but by knowing that when we are subservient, set apart for the use of being used by Almighty God, comes with it protection, shelter, divine appointment, with the extension of compassion, an increase of prosperity and affection. Let's go to Jude 1.1. 1, 1. Let's read that together. Jude says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called mercy unto you, and peace and love be multiplied. I went into verse 2, but verse 1 is, uh, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God, the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, and called. Now, when we look at Jude 1 and 1, servant, is a, you should underline that word, servant. Also underline sanctified. Underline, preserve, and underline, called. A servant is what? A slave. A servant is a slave, one who is in a permanent relation of servitude to another. That's who Jude was. Then it says that he was sanctified. Now, sanctified means to be set apart and separated for the use of being used by God. Now, there are different verb uses in the Greek for the word sanctified. It says that one verb used defines sanctified, which is active sanctification as effected by God and passed on to the character of man. Then there's a Greek synonym that defines sanctified as the attribute of holiness. Now, years ago, when you heard the word sanctified, people always cringed at that word because it, it always implied that you were holy and sanctified. But isn't that a good thing? To be holy and sanctified? The Lord says, be ye holy for I am holy. So the only way that we can be holy is through his righteousness. And because of his righteousness, we are complete in him. Hallelujah. And because of him becoming poor, that we might become rich, now we are righteous because of Jesus for what he did on Calvary's cross. So we see here, Jude was a servant first. He was sanctified. Then he was appointed. Now, when you are appointed, hallelujah, you're called. A person that is appointed is called to the office. So what he said to him, and uh, Romans 1, verses 1, verse 6, and verse 7, it says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, among whom are you also the called of Jesus Christ. And then verse 7, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, now, 
A lot of times we hear this cliche, oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. How many sinners are in the house? <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> now we see in Corinth and we see in Romans that they were called not only to an office, appointed to an office, but they were also called saints. So as a believer, we are saints. Now we are saints who are subject to sin. I don't think you can be a sinner and a saint at the same time. You're either one or the other. So uh, the, the Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. So now if I become new, I can no longer yet be a sinner, but I am a saint who is subject to fall. Hallelujah. Because we recall first saints in Romans. In Corinthians, saints, we are Christians, yes. Christ-like. Yes. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So, so that's the first thing we want to establish, that Jude was called. He was separated. He was appointed. Now, let's go to Jude 1 and 2. Jude 1 and 2. And it says, mercy unto you, and peace and love be multiplied. Now, I'm going to stay here a little while on mercy. <laughs> Say, his grace and mercy has brought me through. Now, the word mercy is a special and immediate regard to the misery which is the consequence or the consequence of sins. Luke 1 50 says, and the mercy is on, and his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. Ephesians 2 4, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Now when we contrast mercy with grace, it says here, that which God's, which is God's free grace and gift displayed in the forgiveness of sins as extended to man in their guilt. So, as I was studying the word mercy, the Lord said to me, we need to be merciful. To be a contender you have to first feel the misery of sin that a person or a sinner is experiencing. If we can't feel that misery for them, we don't have enough mercy. Have you ever been in a situation and around people? I never forget one day I was in Philadelphia. We had just started the ministry. And we were, had gone to Philadelphia. We used to go and feed the poor and, and minister food and give them food. And one day, as we were driving through Philadelphia, and I saw women that had been beat up and battered. You know, you could tell they were winos and bruised faces and big lips where they've been beaten up and here they are on the corners and as I was driving through and observing all that I could observe in the city my heart 
began to feel the misery of their sin. And I says, oh, if it were not for the grace of God, there go I. When you see that drug addict and when you see that alcoholic in the street and they're walking back and forth, and when you, it could be you. It could be your children. It could be my children. You know, but if it were not for the grace. But see, we, could, we should be able to have the mercy to feel the misery of the sin, but only God's grace can move the guilt of the sin and forgive them as they repent. So that makes the difference. But as a believer and as a contender, you have to first feel the misery that the person is in. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So the law of creation is the subject of God's mercy. And as much as the burden of man's curse has redounded also upon it. Romans 8, 20 through 23 says... For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who had subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body, the guilt and power of sin must be removed through God's grace before the alleviation of the misery of sin can be experienced. So here we are groaning. Here we are. Even every time I think I hear of a tsunami, I hear of an earthquake, I believe the earth is groaning. Lord, when are you coming back? When are you coming back? Have you, have you ever been going through so much and you're saying, Lord, come quickly. Come quickly. Can I take any more? Can I handle anymore? Yes, you can. <laughs> yes, you can. When you think you can't do anymore, yes, you can. <laughs> Hallelujah. So here we are. We have to go through some of these things. But the key is this. The key is this. The Bible says, the well, not the Bible, but this commentator says, the believer is to exercise mercifulness. For he can feel compassion for the misery of sin upon others, but he has no power to exercise grace, since that is exclusively God's work. Now, Matthew 5 and 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. James 2.12 says, So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. So in other words, if you haven't shown mercy against others, when it's time for you to receive mercy, don't think you're going to get mercy. Amen. And some people boast over the fact that, yeah, I'm, they boast and rejoice over the judgment. In that mind, that they come against different people, that they are literally judging. The thing about it, we all have sinned, we all have fallen, 
and come short of the glory of God. Just like Jesus forgave me, he forgives the other person. It's not our position to say whether they're forgiven or not or haven't even asked for repentance. So in, in that case, you're not even extending mercy. You're not even uh, 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 acknowledging the misery that the person might have been in in the process. All you're doing is passing judgment. So, in college, a student has to always take prerequisite courses before taking the courses in their major. I truly believe before any believer is able to become a contender, he or she must first have the prerequisite of God's mercy extended unto them with peace and love being multiplied and not subtracted through the study and enlightenment of God's word. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. It says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertaineth unto life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So we see here, the more knowledge that we get of God, the more peace and grace is multiplied in our lives. That's, that's great. The more you read the word, the more you study, the more you pray, the more you get into his word, grace and peace is being multiplied unto you. Now, there is, an, there is an important association between correct doctrine and true faith. The true faith of the Bible must not be compromised because it gives us the real facts about Jesus and salvation. The Bible is inspired by God and should never be twisted or manipulated. And when it is, we have become confused over right and wrong and lose sight of the only path that leads to eternal life. Let's go to Jude 1 and 3. Beloved, it says, when I give all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exalt you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was delivered unto the saints. So how do Christians defend the faith? How do Christians defend the faith? We can defend the faith by knowing the truth. And only the truth you know will set you free. Now, if you go to John chapter 8, verses 31 through 32, verse 32 says, 32 says, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall, what, make you free. 
But if you go to verse 31, the writer said to his disciples, Jesus was saying to his disciples, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if ye continue, what, in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Now, to continue in his word, you're going to have to learn something. So in other words, that that you learn and that that you know is what's now going to make you free. Because truth alone cannot make you free. It is true that President Obama is the president of the, of the United States of America. But is that, is that a truth that's going to set you free? It's truth. But alone it can't set you free. But if I go into his word as a believer, as a disciple, and I find out that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If I go in his word and I read Romans 5, 8, but God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Hallelujah. When I know that, that knowledge will now make me free that I don't have to walk in sin. I don't have to be in the place where I'm at now because God has made provision for me on the cross before the foundation of the world. Before I was thought of, he made provision. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we see here is not truth alone will make you free, but the truth that you know. Now, continuing in his word requires the study of his word. 2 Timothy 2.15, studied to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Don't ever imagine that pastors and seminary professors hold a monopoly on this task. Without study, you cannot know what to defend. You must understand the basic doctrines of the faith so that you can recognize false doctrines and prevent wrong teachings from undermining your faith and hurting others. Many times theologians will seek to point out error in other theologians, and in doing so, they create more error. The Bible is of no private interpretation, but Scripture interprets Scripture. It does not make sense to use a scripture from the Bible to point out one another's error if you're not right at dividing the word of truth in the scripture that you're using to oppose the error. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. Now, I am not saying that error should not never be pointed out. It should. But one error being pointed out by another error brings more confusion. So we, we need to study so that when error comes, we know the word. And nobody can tell us that this is wrong and that is wrong. But they're using the scripture saying that this is wrong, but they're using that scripture out of context and not really rightly dividing it to come against somebody else that's false in their teaching. Does it make sense? We have to be a contender, not only for those that are weak, but we have to be a contender for the faith. Because there are so many false teachers and doctrines out here. So you have to know, but you have to know that when you defend that error, that, the, that, you, that you, what you're defending is, is true. Amen? We can defend the faith as we grow personally with Christ. 
Okay, while knowledge is important, your personal relationship with Christ is essential. Through that relationship, God has given you the Holy Spirit as a teacher, unattached to God. You may know everything, but understand nothing. But attached to Christ, you are given spiritual understanding as well as experiences with Christ that underscore your faith. We can defend the faith by remaining unified on the essentials. Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection, justification by faith through Christ's atonement, sanctification, a continual process. We can defend the poor. Psalms 82 and 3 says, defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needed. Defend means to pronounce a sentence, either for or against. And also defend means to vindicate or punish. And so many times we don't defend the poor. The poor is not always the one that's in need. The poor is the one that sometimes is weak, weak in faith, you see. And we have to be able to uh, 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 defend them. The, it says poor means to dangle. <laughs> you're, you're lean, you're weak. Then we have to do justice. In other words, we have to make right in a moral or forensic sense. Cleanse, clear self, be and do, and then be turned to righteousness. So it's so important that as we defend others, we have to defend justly and not based on our opinion about the situation. Because if it's based on our opinion about the situation, it might not be no mercy there. It might just be punishment. It just might be just, you know, arrogance and just contrariness against the situation. So we have to make sure that whatever we're doing, be right about it. While Christians can certainly disagree on many non-essentials such as music and worship, methods of worship, methods of outreach. We must always defend the truth of the basis of our faith as found in God's word. Because of the spirit of seduction, discernment is crucial today for every believer in the body of Christ. Why do you think discernment is crucial? Jude 1 and 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. The reason Jew was exhorting the believers to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints was because of heresy that had entered the church, turning people away from God's truth and embracing false teachings. The heresy was Gnosticism, which I shared earlier. I had gone ahead of myself. And, but anyway, uh, from the Greek word, which means knowledge. The heresy is a teaching contrary to biblical doctrine, undermined Christianity in several basic ways. It insisted that important secret knowledge was hidden from most believers. I don't believe God has hid nothing from us that he wants us to know. The one thing I do know the things that we think we are doing in secret, <laughs> that we think we are hiding from others, the Bible says, I'm going to expose it and uncover it. 
So that's the thing that's going to be exposed. He's not hiding anything from us because he's a good God. He's faithful. He's just. He's merciful. He's kind. He died on the cross. He was buried. He's now resurrected. Now sit on the right side of the Father, looking down on me and looking down on you. So let's consider some situations in the Bible where we saw people defending others. I think I heard Pastor Ken a few weeks ago was saying how in the book of Acts, when the children, the 120 were filled with the Holy Ghost and they began to speak in tongues and, and they began to say that, oh, these folks are drunk. They are drunk. And then who was it? Peter, the one that denied Jesus three times. Denied him three times. And he says, oh, no, 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 no. They're not drunk as ye suppose, but this is that. <laughs> that, look, that Joel spoke about, that in my last days, in my, my, my old man would dream dreams. Yeah. Hallelujah. Are you old man? Are you dreaming dreams? <laughs> then he says, and, 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 and my handmaidens, he said, shall prophesy. Are you a female that the Lord is calling you into ministry? Prophesy means to preach. Of course, we know we have all the different controversies about what a woman shouldn't be preaching, a woman shouldn't teach, and all that, but a lot of that is taken out of context. I did not call myself. God called me. I would not rather be here. I would rather be seated where you are. You know, it's more comfortable being where you are than where I am right here because I have to see every face, every look, every frown, every whatever, whatever is easier being there they're being here hallelujah I sure wouldn't have made this choice for myself hallelujah but I know that he called me hallelujah and he's calling many of us he's calling many of you and God wants to use you he wants to use you to be a contender don't don't fight against don't fight against uh, uh, one another but just see where you can be a contender. You know, it was, it was Paul that says, you know, I'm going to pray for the Galatians until Christ be formed in them. He compared the birth of a new Christian to the birth of childbirth. And he said, in other words, it takes pain to, to intercede for the new convert. Because why? They, they, they're up today. They're down tomorrow. They come to the altar two or three times for salvation. I need salvation. I need to be saved today. But what they don't realize is that, the, see, and this is another heresy that's being taught. And this heresy that's being taught is that we never, ever have to repent anymore once we receive Jesus. Now, that, that is dangerous. That is absolutely ludicrous. Why did 1 John 1 and 9 says, if by chance you sin, confess that sin. He says, and then when you confess that sin, then he says, I'm going to turn around and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So anything else that's in you that's not right, he's going to cleanse you of that because you confessed the sin that you committed. So why would you tell people they don't have to repent anymore? I would rather, rather live a repentant life. Amen. I don't want to take a chance. No. So the key is, is that as a contender, not only of people of the faith, if we are a contender of ourselves, and to be a contender of ourselves, we have to pull down every stronghold. We have to fight. 
we have to believe not, we can't believe what we have to believe what the Lord is saying and not what the devil is saying about us because the devil tells us all the time you ain't nothing somebody can do it better guess what somebody can do everything better than the next person but it doesn't make that person's what they do invalid or insignificant because as long as everybody do that part each person doing that part makes the whole. Hallelujah. When we can do our part, then we can make the whole. Hallelujah. So today, be encouraged. Be a contender of the faith. Don't allow heresy to come your way. And don't just let, any, just let everybody tell you, whether it's a pastor, theologian, or professor in college, that this is wrong and that is wrong, and, and there's no proof. Make sure. Because a person could easily say, there is no God. They could easily say that, but it's taken out of context. But the fool has said in his heart, there's no God. But you see how quickly we can take the word and use it for our benefit, but we don't pull all the scripture in it. So be a contender. Be merciful. Extend mercy. Be an intercessor. And know that in all of your contending, it will not be in vain that you're going to uplift someone. You're going to encourage someone. You're going to let somebody know, girl, you can make it. You're going to let that one know that's coming in stumbling and the end today and out tomorrow that they can make it. You can stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Mm. Mm. If you're here this morning and 